Hello, all of our friends. Welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get-off-my-lawn cast. This show features the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons, each of us who stares down the prospect of entertainment relevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry of America Caesar Enterprises, which, as you all know, is a mom-and-pop cornea donation business located in Tonawanda, New York. And Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. Mom-and-pop cornea donation yes yes so is this is this do they have medical degrees you know uh, i got you know I, degrees from from eye surgery no what actually happened is their, par- their parents started the business and these this is the second generation they took it over right you know they have a little cat that sits on the counter which is very cute people love that right. you know so you just go in and you're dead do you have to be dead to donate your cornea i mean you're asking a lot of questions you-, you know what i mean uh, look, when you're going for a cornea transplant, the last thing you want to do is ask questions. You know, uh, have you ever heard the joke? When someone wants to donate a kidney, they're called a hero. If they want to donate two kidneys, then people start asking questions. <laughs> I, yeah, no one has a bathtub anymore, so how do you do it? And I, <laughs> you can't do an upright shower, right? That's true. It's not really going to yeah, work. You can't, yeah. No one wakes up in an upright shower, you know, up to the neck in ice, ice with a note that says, your kidney is gone. <laughs> really, it's hard, yeah. It's the yeah. wages of gentrification. What if it's a share, a share toilet, you know? It's not really working yes, out so well. Yes, yes. Gentrification has really killed the creepy urban legends. People, business. people, you know, what they do, they, they won't have the dream of owning your own house to take out somebody's uh, <laughs> kidney and leave them in an ice bath. Yes. Yeah, the guy with the hook hand can't live in your... He lives in your attic simply because he can't get rent and he can't I mean, pay rent anymore. There's a TV show I just heard a podcast about. Apparently, there's a phenomenon called frogging with a P-H-R-O-G. Oh, it is the... It I is don't the, want to know. No, no. Frogging apparently is this thing where somebody lives inside your house and you don't know that they're there. I don't know if this is true or not, if it's an urban legend. I've, I've heard about that. There are videos online that are probably bullshit about someone like found a secret stairway yes, behind... Yes. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about this. It's... I think it probably happened once in history. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Frog. That'll be our topic next week. Frog and wife. And, what a weird thing. And I am joined, as always, by this man. Yes. This man. I am Noah Tarno. Uh, I pay rent in the place I live. How about that? Uh, uh, here in San Francisco. It, it is possible. Uh, I am Noah Tarno. I am the founder and the senior quiz master of The Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show spectacular always good to see your face bill chat from our many miles away is it could we call it a spooktacular uh not till october man oh yeah you're not scary around the clock you're saying you, you don't wear no, like we're, you know yeah we're you know we're not did you watch so it'll get to our topic this week but the the second episode of nathan for you he's doing a christmas celebration uh in the summer how many wait how many episodes did you make it into nathan for you Oh, Nathan, for you, I think I watched four of them. Yeah, I think I watched four. From the start? From episode no, one? No, no, no. I, I, I did. I looked oh, for, you bounced around. I looked oh, okay. to see which ones that they recommend because I knew that there was some great... There was one Magnum Opus episode and there's a bunch of other ones. But yeah. Okay. Well, we're, as always, folks, we're not entirely well prepared. But welcome to the wonderful world of podcasts. Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's get right to it. Here's a brief, yes. uh, here's a brief precis of what we're talking about here. Our topic right. this week is Nathan Fielder who is um, a cable cut-up, I guess you'd call him. Uh, it's sort of hard to show. They, they, now cable th- cut-up? What is this, the 1940s? This, <laughs> this, what are we, on Ed Sullivan or something? I told Janice today that I was going to say that word later, and I, I held cut up. I, yeah, cut-up. I just love that description. Yes. He's a cut-up. He's, Janice, a, he's course, a card, this guy. He's my, a card. My lovely wife. Uh, so Nathan yeah. Fielder 
is a 39-year-old comedic television personality, originally from Vancouver, British Columbia, currently starring... Oh, you ever been to Vancouver, Bill? I have not, actually. I have not. Beautiful. One yeah. of the most beautiful cities I've ever seen. Gorgeous. Yeah, why oh, do, my God. So go to Vancouver. Why do people move there for, to here? I don't want well, no, to, to America, I'm saying. If they, why don't they stay in Vancouver if it's so great? I don't know. Because America is the land of something. Yeah, burgers. It's land of poutine, as they know no, it. The, it is. the land of burgers. It's not the land of poutine. So yeah, uh, I don't even Putin. That Putin's not Vancouver. Putin is Putin is Quebec, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that's what they call it. Vancouver probably has really good sushi because it's got a huge Japanese expat population and it's on the water. So I would imagine the sushi's good. Yeah. So uh, Nathan Fielder is uh, currently starring in an HBO Max. <laughs> show. What are we talking about again? Okay. It's called the rehearsal, and uh, you you may already know about it. There's really really quite buzzy and and, and pod, like hip hip podcast audiences are the ones who really know about this sort of thing. They get their ear to the ground on it. He is the cover topic of New York Magazine this week. Uh, the second episode just dropped as of this recording last night on HBO Max. Uh, yeah. So Fielder uh, was a member of an improv troupe in British Columbia alongside, as I found out, Seth Rogen when he was growing up. Uh, I think they went to the same high school together. Uh, and he went He went to business school in Canada, but he decided to pivot to comedy in around uh, 06 or so. He started working on some lower-level TV series as a writer. He was on the crew for uh, John Benjamin Owns a Van. Really strange, odd jobs. Anything he was doing to, to break into TV in America, uh, he did. He... Um, Happened along the way to invent a persona as an advocate journalist uh, by creating a show called Nathan for You in 2013. Uh, he had been doing it as a segment on This Hour Has 22 Minutes, which is basically the Canadian Daily Show yeah. after he moved to Toronto. Yeah. So yeah, he relocated Toronto and then Toronto to New York and Los Angeles, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if, if you know what the show is, it's kind of one of those I can fix it local field reporters. I know the guy... In New York, there was a few of them. Um, Asa, ACBS had one. We grew up with the sort of shame on you guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, they would go in. Well, but this is less going in and exposing bad people. This is more... Consumer advocate like Kitchen Confidential. No, he's not really an advocate. He's a business fixer. Kitchen Confidential kind of, I will go in and fix your business, but he's he's... Joking around, right? Yeah, there was a there was a bar show that did something like this, and yeah, it's straight, yeah. yeah. And he, but he, it wasn't just one. It wasn't just food food places. It was like every freaking yeah, thing he, he could he find. Was, he goes to every business he can find, and they're all real businesses. But... Yeah, well, I mean, that's what they say. We'll talk about that too. But I believe they were real businesses, even if the show is heightened along the way. Um, so his persona in that was it was was the kind of guy who would undertake a task of trying to repair or revamp uh, an actual not just businesses, but in some cases a life. Uh, he was actually trying to pick up a reputation and or a profile of somebody, not necessarily a business. So. Mm. But the show got him some notice, real notice, among comedy nerds. Uh, it, it kind of entered him into that cult of Adult Swim sort of Comedy Central stuff. It's a very discreet profile. I would put alongside it like uh, the Tim and Tim's and Eric of the world. Um, mm -hmm. Just got that guy Greg Turkenberg, who who does that Neil Hamburger mm -hmm. character. There's like a whole mm -hmm. crowd of guys who are floating around this this middle range of cult comedy, and and you know like it, it they're either they work for you or they don't. In a lot of cases, they don't work for me. But again, we'll we'll get to that. So his new show, the rehearsal, is only a few episodes old, like Noah says, but it's already proven to be kind of buzzy, um, which is uh, trending up his profile with many many written pieces. And if, there's been more coverage of this. I should say going into this episode on some other topics we've covered. Now, he has the benefit of having had a TV show for three years. 
And he's already got a cult profile. Four so, years. Four years. Four okay, years. thank you. But he's he's already a little more well known. And th- but this is more. This is an hour long show as opposed to the half. No, hour. No, it's not. Oh, it's only half hour. Okay. Well, th- there's something different. Well, here's what I don't understand. The first episode ran about forty minutes. The second episode ran thirty minutes. All right. Well, that's that's the new thing. And we're and laymen like us who don't get advanced copies, we we can only see two episodes of this. Yeah. Well, and, but yes, Nathan for you was thirty minutes every time. And with yeah, with with the uh, with the commercials from with Comedy commercials. Central. So that's the thing is right. that this this show. Uh, already is a different kind of thing. He has trended up. He's he's uh, he's got a whole new flock of fans who've never seen his shtick before. And Noah brought this up because they're actually in the first episode of the rehearsal again on HBO Max right yeah, now. Yeah, can we can we wait, Bill? Can we back up and say what the theme of the rehearsal is as opposed to Nathan for you? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Well, this is this is one of those things that's a little tough to describe. So I think in a yeah. nutshell, it is uh, in such a ways that he helps people coaches them through social situations that they've been dreading or some big apprehension and apparently these are regular people who who uh submitted to the show i forget via what venue but there was almost i think it was craigslist yeah i think it was craigslist i read it was craigslist yeah and you know anybody who sort of like has a monkey on their back or a chip on their shoulder about something that they just a schneid that they've been on for a long time he uh i think it was very vague they decided to say you know like they were saying like this show could possibly help you if you want to go on tv and be revelatory about this so the thing is, is that what Nathan Fielder is doing, he designed this show wherein uh, you rehearse uh, with in, in a very specific social scenario with people who you are holding something back and or some scenario you are dreading. You essentially rehearse it over and over again in a way to kind of get the, the, the jitters out of it a little bit. And it's a way to break the ice between this big, big monkey on your back. Um, so the, I, I think that's as clear as I think I could describe it, Noah, unless you have a better way of um, sort of putting the, the premise yeah, you're, of the show. Yeah, you have big, big life things you're, you're dreading or ramping up to, and he actually rehearses them with you and simulates these events, going so far as to hire actors to play the people you'll be interacting with. Or in the first episode, the bar where the conversation needs to take place, they build a facsimile. One-to-one the facsimile. They're spending a lot of money on this on this show. It's so is, weird. Well, that's we'll, also we'll get into that. Of yeah, course. I mean that's the yeah. thing. You talk about something that's different between the uh, Nathan for You show and this, and it's like the, it's the craft. You know that that look already the budget yeah. is something entirely different. Well, there's a big budget in Nathan for You as well. Yeah, no, it's uh, true. And that was Los Angeles. This seems to be New York so far, unless it's changed. But you know who knows. But. Uh, yeah, and I, I, one of the reasons we're talking about this is because there is a personal connection to the first episode, and uh, I know yes. that, um, and we will get to it. Both me and Noah, Noah certainly more intimately, uh, we had a connection to the first guy, this guy Corey Skeet, who uh, was the first recipient of the of the uh, the rehearsal thing, is a uh, member of a trivia team in New York City and has been for years. And as it turns out, that that trivia team was a regular competitor in the live yep. big quiz thing show for years in New York, as I was too. Yeah. I had a team. Yeah. Um, I still I still compete in trivia online with my team. Uh, we were called Death Cab for Cutie, and um, their team. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. Yeah, that was our team. No, you were not Death Cab for Cutie. Cash cap for cutie. Sorry, cash cap for cutie. Cash cap for cutie. Yeah, That's you, the you. joke, man. That is the joke, yeah. yeah. I forget, well, you were not. What's that? Ben, I, ben, what's like a Ben Gabbard? You were not Ben Gabbard. Ben Gabbard, yeah. Anyway, so their team yeah. was called uh, Strippers for Stephen Hawking. And Strippers we, for And for all I know, they still are called that when they play trivia wherever they play. Well, they did. They I, they did at least a couple virtual events during the height of our virtual. They won. We did an event for the Brooklyn Outdoor Film Festival summer thing. We did a virtual film quiz, and they won that. Yeah. 
that team. So yeah. they still exist in some form. Yeah. Yeah. So the fornicators, you know, it was Steve Flack, and we 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 were, we were all. I mean, we kind of knew each other. I knew some other, you know, some other teams. Yeah. I knew better. We were more social. We friends. would do the event. Basically, my company rarely does public events anymore, but in those days, we did them every two weeks for the public in New York, and like pretty much every public trivia event, we had regular teams. Cash Cap for Cutie and strippers for Stephen Hawking. They were they were way up there, and they included. He's called Core on the show, but I knew him as Corey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Trisha, the woman he deals with. And there's a photo at the beginning, and I know the name of just about everyone in that photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. The day the day before I watched that episode, one of the guys in the photo emailed me to wish me happy birthday. How about that, everybody? So, Noah, all right. Quinky dinks abound. Let's, uh, let's slide right into it. What do you think of uh, the Nathan yeah. Fielder phenomenon? Well, I had heard of this guy quite a bit because my nephews are huge fans of his. They're 18 now, and... Two years ago, at least, they would watch this guy and they loved him. And I had heard of him, Nathan, for you, but I'd never seen it. And I heard the gist of it. And, you know, for me, it's always hard to see some young, awkward comedian do his thing because the jealousy thing always plays into it because I wanted to be that guy and I didn't. But then it was called out to me that, oh, my God, you know, I know this guy, Corey. I had heard like, oh, the first episode's about a bar trivia team. I'm like, okay, maybe I need to check that out. And then like, not just any bar trivia team, it's Corey. Oh, so I watched the episode. Um, I watched that. I watched the new episode of the rehearsal last night. And I watched the first, I think, four episodes of Nathan for You. So um, Nathan Fielder is very talented. He has an oddly appealing affect. He kind of has this flat kind of awkward thing. But he still is fearless. He gets in everyone's face. You know, he's, he's of the Borat's Tom Green school of getting people's faces and make things but awkward. but not the Tom Green like Tom Green would be obnoxious. This is the opposite. Well, He's dialed in no, the opposite oh, oh, direction. I, I I I mean I don't. I think there's a bit of a continuum. I do not think he's remotely as obnoxious as Tom Green. I also think he's a shit ton more talented than Tom Green. He's very clever, Fielder. There's a lot of absurdity. Uh, there's a bit in one of the episodes I watched of Made Him for You where to spy on businesses to prepare, he hides himself inside a fake video game. And to make sure nobody plays the game, it's the most boring-looking game in the world. It's called The Librarian's Quest, and it's $80 to play or something. So, like, a fake old-school arcade cabinet. He's hiding inside. I mean, he, he plays around in absurdity, which I always I always am at least interested in. Um, conceptually, very original. Uh, that episode, uh, there's a whole article, where did I read it? I guess on Vulture, where they basically analyzed the last minute of that first episode of the rehearsal where, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but basically Nathan has to give his own confession to Corey and they kind of conceptually play with it and upend your expectations. And they analyze this. They're blown away by it. I'm not blown away by it, but I definitely appreciate the originality. And it, it, I mean, if nothing else, this episode really makes you think. The primary question is what's real, what's fake. And I especially felt this because... I know Corey and Trisha are real people. I'm pretty sure that they were not acting, but all reality TV, even all TV, is, uh, you know, fake. Sculpt, sculpted, uh, shaved, sculpted, uh, crimped. Right. Yeah. Well, for example, all right, Corey and Trisha are real, but at the end when they're at, quote-unquote, at their trivia night, I know for a fact it was a fake trivia night. I, I know the company that this was filmed pre-pandemic that did the weekly trivia event at this bar and they tweeted like, we don't know who that host was. That Those are not our questions. Because at first I'm like, aren't they pissed that their name never gets mentioned? 
hey, this is the company that did trivia there. And they're like, it wasn't us. It's just the bar we were normally at every week. Um, and in terms of the conceptual thing, there's a great element of the second episode of the rehearsal. So the theme there is he's helping prepare this woman for motherhood. She wants to be a mom. And they prepare her by basically putting her in a house and having her take care of a baby that's not hers. But they keep making a point of, since we can't have child actors for more than four hours at a time, they have a big clock of four hours. And every four hours, they swap out the baby for a different baby, right? And they, they make that into humor. They show this funny thing of trying to make it seamless. Like, while her back is turned, people climb up the window of the nursery and exchange the babies. And they're like, he's talking to the, the actual baby's mother to, is behind the scenes and getting their yeah. permission. Right. It's, I mean, he's making the most of limitations, which frankly, I think, is a key to all creative work. He gets these wonderful, nice moments. There's an episode of Nathan for You I watch. And again, I watched the first four episodes. I just started at the beginning. Where he's trying to help a pizza place. And the gimmick is, I mean, he comes up with these ridiculous things to help your business. So the example here is, we'll deliver a pizza within eight minutes or you get a, a get a pizza for free. And of course they can't deliver in eight minutes, but the free pizza is the size of like a silver dollar. So showing people's reactions when they get that pizza and they're pissed off. And afterwards, he and the kid, he's traveling with the delivery kid, just like a teenager. They're sitting on the roof of a car eating a pizza, talking about dating. And it's sad and touching and absurd all at once. You know, he finds these moments. But, and I always do this, I have some discomfort with this. Because like I said, he's a little like Tom Green's, a little like Borat. I love Borat, by the way. Uh, he is a bit of a bully. He is punching down in certain ways. And I am not comfortable with that. Um, he has a gift for finding awkwardness, for foregrounding awkwardness, for finding awkward people and getting them to say awkward things. There's a guy in that second episode, that a guy who goes on a date with our fake mother, who is, I mean, maybe he's an actor. I don't think he was, but wow, that's magical he got this dude. I mean, some of the stuff he says blows your mind. What a character this clown is. Um, but he finds these people and he gets them to say it. And the personal element of knowing Corey and Trisha, I don't know. I kind of feel like they're being picked on in a way. The woman who's the fake mother is very religious and she, she's very open about Jesus and God and all that. And while I have a lot of cynicism about that, it still feels like, hey, look at this ridiculous religious woman. What a dork she is. A rube, sure. Yeah. I'm a little uncomfortable with that. It's the comedy of cruelty. You know, I loved Borat, but he felt like he was punching down. Tom Green was just punching down. Part of the reason I like the Borat sequel more is because he was making fun of Rudy Giuliani, and that's punching up. Talk about someone who deserves it, right? This woman might be, you know, a wacky religious person from my point of view, but she didn't seem to be hurting anyone other than maybe herself, right? So, um, you know, I, I just, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. I have to say I liked Nathan for you more than the rehearsal. I thought Nathan for you was funnier. Uh, it was more quick hits than a long kind of deep dive. It also felt less personal. You know, it's less about solving these people's personal problems and more about a business thing. So it felt less emotionally, you know, digging in and, and obviously less cruel, uh, more gimmicky. And I think Fielder's skills really work with gimmicks. You know, this idea will give you the little pizza. Or I watched one where a gas station has the cheapest gas in the country, like $1.50 a gallon, after rebate. And to get the rebate, 
you have to drive an hour and a half, climb a mountain for two hours, and solve riddles, right? <laughs> I mean, it's funny, it, right? You laugh. These are funny ideas. These are funny ideas. He same episode. He works with a caricaturist, and the caricaturist is the king of Sting. He's basically making racist, offensive caricatures, which actually turns out great for him. People love it. You know, um, he does Santa in the winter, Santa in the summer at a mall. That's not as funny, but yeah, the rebate one is the best. Uh, a women's clothing store where attractive attractive women are allowed to steal one item, and it's up to the security guard whether they're attractive or not. That gets a little creepy, but. Um, and another reason, I, I'll leave it at this, another reason I think I think Nathan For You is funnier and a problem I have with rehearsal is maybe it's me just because I'm burnt out. Going on vacation next week. Woohoo! Uh, I'm really having a lot of trouble wrapping my mind around the rehearsal. Reading these Vulture articles, there's something really deep going on about human nature, about how we approach tasks, about how we prepare ourselves that I'm just really having trouble thinking through. I read a few of these articles and they just went in one ear out the other. Uh, I'm feeling, I don't know, when I'm burnt out, I get stupid. So maybe if this had hit me at a different time, I'd like it more. But look, Fielder's a talented guy. He's got balls. He's original. He's clever. You know, not my exact cup of tea, but but definitely on the thumbs up side. I do not get this. I do not get Nathan Fielder for, for, a, for a single inch, for a... For a millimeter, really? for an angstrom. I thought you'd like this guy. I thought I'd like him too. I thought that this was going to be an mm. easy layup before I started watching it. And then when I started watching the rehearsal, his thing, you know, like if, if Noah's description of, of it, which he went into very well, and I think very faithfully in terms of what the mood of the show is and, and the kind of things that he does. You could imagine um, Nathan Fielder wears the same formless, like jag off Jack's uh, uh, gap sweater a pair of dark uh, chinos. He wears New Balance sneakers. He's got a sort of close-cropped uh, gray hairstyle and a very kind of like dead look on his face. You know, a little bit of a... Uh, his eyes almost look like they're crossing in concentration from thinking very difficult. And his voice is a sonorous low timber, which sounds like it's, it's incapable excitation. And I think that this is all part of his code. There are layers of code that uh, overlap with one thing or another. And again, his show engages in these things, like Noah was saying, various baroque overlays in terms of how do you fix a pizza place? How do you change a, like, a fake coffee shop, this uh, fake Starbucks, bad, dumb Starbucks yeah, he thing? Did, he calls dumb Starbucks he built a place. Yeah, and that was a big, that was a big sensation. The dumb Starbucks thing broke yeah. before the episode came out. Uh, this was years ago, yeah. but it was something he got known for. Uh, and this thing too, you know, like you said, I did read a lot of these pieces where people were imputing all of the psychology and these deep motivations on what is driving the rehearsal in terms of the human brain and what is it that causes us, us to, it's easier to not do something and dread it for years rather than to actually do it. And then like, what is the, what is the basis of rehearsing something that is a spontaneous human reaction in this workshop over and over again with actors in, in the simulacra, you know, it's like that synecdoche New York thing that Charlie Kaufman made, the simulation of real life inside of a studio. Right. All, all these, you know, and I, you know, great, great with all that. I just figured, let me watch the show. And I, I just don't get his shtick, man. I just think, like, it is so heavy on quirk. It is so heavy on this starchy, inert, dry, sonorous timber. Um, yeah. It's filled with surreality in a strange way. For his he, He's got an affect, and it might 
it sounds like it, it hit you in a weird way. Yeah, and I just I didn't get it, and I at no point did did anything I see strike me as what I would say is humor. And it's funny because <laughs> before we before wow, there's a pull quote. In no way did I see anything that would strike me as humor, right? Because you know what, people on Twitter were going nuts for it, and I saw all these memes out there. Yeah, like, for instance, people love them. I know. Well, one of the things I saw, people were saying, um, you know, there's this montage when he and Corey are walking down the street, and there's all these plants. Uh, these people, it's like, oh, this building is yeah. tall, but it's not as tall as the tallest building, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Yeah. That actually made me laugh the most. It's it's a way to plant the answers to the trivia night in Corey's head because he wanted Corey to have a good night so he'd be at ease and he talking doesn't, to he Trisha. Doesn't, he doesn't signpost yeah. it by telling him these are the answers. It's just what he's doing yes. is like a cop. A cop says like something horrible happened here. Boy, it, it yeah. makes me curse the day the Chinese invented gunpowder, for instance. I know. that That was the funniest line to me in that but episode people on twitter were memeing that stuff and i'm like i before really? i saw it's the not show that funny no but before <laughs> yeah. i saw the show people were like masterpiece love this this is great and then i watched uh, the show i'm like what good. what show did you watch that there's so many layers of humor that this cuts you up it's like i didn't get the joke i saw what he was doing it never struck me as having the comedic power that a lot of people who I trust, whose opinions are great, seem to think. And again, that this now goes recursive back to everyone who's been cavelling over Nathan for you for years. And it's the same thing where it's like now going back mm-hmm. and watching that. I, t- I, You know, the episode that stuck out in my head was where there's this schlubby guy in California that he says, I'm going to pick up your life by having you do something heroic. He he says, I'm going to, we're, we're going to do is take you, yeah. and we're going to put you it's in a famous an, episode. Yeah. We're going to take you and put you in an Airstream trailer for like a week while I am going to impersonate you with prosthetics on and I'm going to do a skywalk between two buildings, a tightrope walk between two buildings in Los Angeles. Yeah. And at the Doesn't same- Doesn't he save someone's life or something? No, no, no. But what he does is- he, uh, they, they set him up on a date. Like while they're doing all this stuff, he impersonates the guy on a date with a woman he meets on, um, on like Tinder. And what he's doing is having the date, and he's going to hand her over, assuming that she doesn't really remember what the guy looks like enough because there's like two weeks between yeah. dates. It's so strange. So he does the tightrope yeah, walk. It's a little creepy. Yeah. He does the tightrope mm-hmm. walk, and they switch him out with the other guy, and the other guy resumes his life and just accepts all this. His, the hero, the, the news is covering this thing, and it's like he just steps into, and Nathan gets into a, a dark car and drives away, pulling the prosthetic off, and goes, and it's like, congratulations, I just fixed this guy's life, or at least for the course of an episode. And I don't know how to take any of this stuff. It It, 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 it is such a, a Bressonian... Robert Bresson, the French director, would hire these actors and do things where people would just act like they were living dead people. There was no affect. They weren't actors. I didn't understand if what I was watching was entertainment. And people have talked about Robert Bresson as genius for years. I mean, they've been puzzling over his work for the last 60 60 years or so. And I had the same thing. I was like, what is inside of this? All these layers of code, all this weird quirk, all this inert stuff, the Canadian-ness of him. It made me think of that guy, Joe Perra, who's another, I think he's an adult swim guy, who just has this, again, is this a real guy? Is he acting because he seems to be playing a character of this dim-witted dullard? And it's like, I don't know if in Joe Perra's case, he's fake or real, and I can't tell if Nathan Fielder is just sort of doing a weird Andy Kaufman-ish thing. And it, it just, it, but it never struck me as funny, and it never struck me as entertaining. I've been told my personality can make people uncomfortable, so I have to work to offset that. Humor is my go-to instinct, but every joke is a gamble. Why is Nathan feel? I mean, you 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 say you don't get this. 
But why? Why do other people get this? Why is he on the cover of New York Magazine? Why did he get a Comedy Central deal? Why did he get an HBO Max deal? Why uh, are huge teams of production people doing his bidding when I fucking can't get one person to... Sorry, I'm bitter this week about a few things. Why? Why is Nathan Fielder a hot thing? Well, this show is deeply in its lane uh, as a comedy product. Uh, That much I can see. It's advertised as comedy, and, and that is what it's being sold as. So... It, 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 uh, because it has the comedy label on it yes. that's why yeah made in made in america made in michigan or yeah. wherever um you know i think the the um the correct razor thin margin of people have discovered the humor in this or and, and of him and are celebrating it via memes and think pieces too which is also super important um you know that 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 people catch on to it and they identify as part of you know the nathan fielder crew it's, uh, you know, this comedy thing that they want to be a part of for sure. Look, I, I mean, I am guessing here. Like you say, it's it's difficult for me. I'm, I'm trying to posit what it is about the com- com- comedy itself. When movies do this sort of thing, when other forms of entertainment are so in their lane, if it's a David Lynch, for instance, which David Lynch is an enormous brand. He's been making movies for 50 years. Uh, when David Lynch does it, you know, he he's got this maximum maximal draft. You know, it's like so many more people watch his movies. He's he's a, he's a brand of himself. He's one of the you know the four, four most practitioners of sort of surreality and not explaining what his art is about, but making this art for for public consumption that he challenges you to try to pick through it and figure out what it is. Now Nathan Fielder isn't like that on that level, but there I see the same kind of. Um, not fanaticism, but the same kind of wonder and amusement is is from the same type of people where they like to be challenged. There's, I think it's finding the same people who are into surreality, the same people who are into that kind of uh, inert, uh, dead, deadpan kind of art where you could ascribe a lot of motive onto it. And maybe there's something stronger in the background, like you said, with all the psychology. But I mean, I could have said there was psychology in I Dream of Genie. If you want to write a fucking white paper about that, <laughs> it's there too. But it's just that wow. that's, that's not, the, that's not the foreground on I Dream of Genie. It's like the people who, when I was writing my thesis in college about Batman, which I was ahead of my time, people were like, why are you talking about that? There's nothing to talk about there. And I'm like, yeah, but everyone knows who he is. Why wouldn't there be something to talk about? It's like, so I could write a whole paper about taking a shit. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do that, but maybe someone should. (laughs) Just because everyone does it doesn't mean it's important. I know this is one of those things where I would need to be able to remote view like a clairvoyant into somebody's head and see the world through through their ocular uh, nerves to figure out what. Wow, you really don't get this. The title of the show is very accurate. Yeah. Anyways, what about what? Why do you think it's popular? I mean, I think there's more to it than that. Yeah, I think there's more to it than that. I mean. You know, it's funny. You, you say how I don't really see the humor here, but I go online and people think it's genius. I mean, I see it through the prism of my nephews. My nephews are 18 years old. They're starting college in the fall. They are very smart and very engaged. Well, that's a great, that's a great proxy to have. They've to read a lot of history. They think about things, and it makes sense that they like this because despite their intelligence, they're still, you know, teenage boys, and they have a bit of a juvenile sense of humor, and it's similar. It's not... It's, it's different from our juvenile sense of humor. Like, I tried to get them into the stuff we liked. You know, I tried to get them into the jerky boys, and they were like, oh, that was funny, and then they moved on. I think this is like a smart version of stupid teen boy humor, right? I also think it's of their generation. They grew up where, quote-unquote, reality shows were the coin of the realm, right? There was nothing new or novel about them. I think entertainment right now is a lot largely about, not largely, but 
considerably about manipulating reality. It is the, the something we talk about a lot that entertainment and media are folding in on themselves these days, right? Everything is referential, self-referential. It's not enough to tell. I mean, it can be enough to tell a funny story, but usually you need more. You need to make a comment about telling a funny story. You need to plumb the depths of what is, you know, asking these questions. What is real? What is not? What did Trisha and Corey know? What did they not know? Where is this bar? What's going on? What's been edited? What's not been edited? Who's an actor? Who's not an actor? Um, I think that you almost need that. And if you do that in, you know, I don't think Fielder hits it out of the park, but he's certainly original and he certainly plays in that sandbox more aggressively than most comedy. And I think that's going to get a lot of people, including, you know, young people, give them credit, young, intelligent, thoughtful people like my nephews, that's really going to hit a nerve with them and they're going to see that as, a, as genius. And maybe, you know, in 20 years, we'll look back and see that this was kind of really groundbreaking in a positive way. I also think that Fielder's timing was good emerging in 2013 because, I mean, Borat was several years old by that point, but The Office was still the hottest thing. Uh, the comedy of cruelty, right? I mean, I don't think he's that cruel most of the time, but he definitely makes people uncomfortable and he definitely pushes people into places where maybe they don't want to be. And like I said, sometimes it comes off as bullying, therefore cruel. Uh, I think people like that. Maybe not, maybe it's not the best impulse, but facts are facts. They do like it. So that's why people are going to go for it. Remember a couple of weeks ago when the gas company came by because of a leak in your building? Yes. Well, there wasn't a leak in your building. That was my team. All right. No, would you have liked this as a kid? I think so. Uh, you know, obviously I compare myself to my nephews. I've always liked absurdity. I'd like to think I would be like them if I were their age, although they're way smarter and more, you know, confident than I was at their age. Uh, also, here's a funny thing. You know, a lot of people don't know. When I was 15 years old, I moved to Canada. I moved to Montreal, Canada, and I finished high school there, and I lived there for three years. And I had always been, like, siding with the underdog, so I very quickly became like, yeah, Canada's awesome because Canada lives in the United States' shadow. So any entertainer I ran across who was Canadian got like an extra look for me or an extra thumbs up for me. So I could see myself really glomming onto Fielder as not only like this dorky guy, dorky, awkward white guy like me, but hey, he's Canadian, quote unquote, like me. So yeah, I think I would have, uh, I certainly would have liked him more than I like him now. And I might really love him the way, you know. My nephews do. I think the utter dryness and, and, and airlessness in, in his meme would have, <laughs> would have turned me off. You know, one of the things, uh, I, I one of the words I came across reading was the idea of it was anti-comedy or cringe comedy, which maybe, like you said, party of evidence, mm -hmm. but him coming out in 2013 is the uh, idea that people were making shows that were designed to not be laughed at, but the designed to, to make you tor be tortured a little bit, like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. And on The Office. Oh, I, Curb Your Enthusiasm is the one show I take no pleasure from. It's all, and it's like I love that show. I don't know I, why. I have loved it, you know. But that, uh, that's not I can't anti, stand like it. Greg. Tur oh, what is it? Greg Turkenberg, the Neil Hamburger guy, is anti-comedy. Yeah. If you watch a movie called The Entertainment, um, that's it, like that is the idea that you're watching somebody not be funny, but who's who he's he's doing something that's grotesque for the purpose of it not being funny, but people think it's funny even though there's nothing about yeah. it that's covered in funny. That's it, ta it takes the form of a joke, but it is not correct. And it, that's the, yeah, that's yeah. the entertainment of it. So no, that yeah. this, this thing would have turned me off for sure. And you know, here's, I, I think of it perfectly because 
let's say you take the 2013-ness of Nathan Fielder when he sort of arises. <laughs> like, for, So I'm going to think back to 1992-1993 when I'm your nephew's age. You know, what was my thing? My thumbprint was Mystery Science Theater 3000, yeah. you know, which is the exact dead opposite, the the antithesis of this, and that it is pro. That's just jokes, jokes, it's jokes. It's prolix. Jokes, jokes. It's reference heavy. Yeah. It, it's t- it, it requires, um, you know, it requires this background information. It, it is intertextual. It's all these things that, sure, you know what? It was designed to make a lot of white nerds who read comic books and stuff like that in suburbs feel like they were smart because it was so intertextual with some different sources. However, it was the coin of the realm for a cult in 92, 93, 94 uh, that spoke to me. And, you know, again, maybe that's more my natural mode and there's just no element of that in this guy. We then recreated every detail of the space as a physical set in a warehouse a few miles from here. And with the help of a fake you, I could practice every single permutation of this interaction. I think we're 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 building to something here, Bill. But we have another topic before we get to the jealousy thing, which is apocalypse. You know, you, you clearly are not on board with people saying this guy's a genius, flummoxed if not dismayed. So is this a, a real problem from your point of view? I mean, you just said you just you're just. You don't know how to feel about it. You're nonplussed about it. So, like, what's, you know, is this a problem? Is this apocalypse, a sign of the apocalypse? No, I Maybe d- we I, should phrase it that way. <laughs> I don't think it is at all. Uh, you know, this is, but look, this is the yeah. upside. If there is going to be an upside of the fact that we're living in this gigantically balkanized, siloed uh, programming environment filled with streamers, niche networks, uh, basic cable, cable, pay networks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, like, those places... The one thing that they have, they afford, they are they are afforded by the form of televisual entertainment these days is that those are designed as, as as a place, perfect place for some guy like this to get exhibition. Whether it is the Comedy Central show or the HBO Max show, I mean, I don't know how he could strike out larger unless he starts doing feature films. Uh, but an HBO Max show, uh, which has all this buzz to it, seems to me, I can't think, I can't conceive of what's the next form of his art. It seems like it's a ramp up. Um, you know, let's put it this way. Movie comedies are moribund. They're almost all but dead right now because you need the four quadrants. So those turn into chase sequences with action scenes and gunfights and police cars. And, you know, I, that's really too bad. You can't find comedy in the, in the theater anymore. It should, that is strictly the, the realm of car crash movies, Michael Bay stuff, superheroes, etc. That's about it. Is or, Michael Bay still making movies? And Michael, actually, Michael Bay's last movie came out on streaming the same. It was a movie called Ambulance, which was streaming and theatrical the same day. And the, the streaming part always undercuts. It's people, you know, you can't get Got the it. same success from, from streaming as you can from theatrical. But that's, that's besides the point. So, you know, the, the streamers, I think the streamers must pick up the slack and use the fact that they have this infinitely sized warehouse from the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark where you can put all this <laughs> stuff. Now, granted, it's going to get lost in there, but there's no harm for them con- constantly finding new people like Nathan Fielder and giving them a shot. I mean, that's that's all a long way of saying, no, I don't, no, think, it's, I don't think it's a part it's of the not, It's not everyone, Bill. No, I, mean, I don't think that. No streamers are putting my show on. I don't but. think this is a sign of the apocalypse at all. And again, I'm nonplussed, but it doesn't strike me as, as being harmful to the environment that somebody is enabled to take the style, uh-huh. the stylistic and formal leaps that he does to make whatever this thing is. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, this probably isn't a sign of the apocalypse. Uh, you know, I'm tempted to say cruelty. If more humor relies on cruelty and picking on little guys, we're going to have a problem. But we've been doing some form of that. Uh, yeah, this isn't the worst memorial. example of that. You, I know what you're saying. No, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not. It's not. And it's not. I don't think it pushes the form into a more cruel direction. It's it's less cruel than Tom Green. I mean, think, think about the Morag. the real housewives are plied with vodka and no food every time they go to shoot something, <laughs> right? And that is that's openly cruel yeah, to God. to people to yeah, expect but to it's, do that. It's not what I mean by cruel. It's it's uh, anyway. I, I mean, also on the other hand, like if it's smart, if it's so thoughtful, if it's so, I mean, I don't think I've said it enough, and that that Vulture article really says it how. Um, that last moment of the episode where he confesses, I don't want to give anything away. He confesses. Oh, I, I might as well. Right. I said, sure. it. Yeah, yeah. he, he plants the answers in Corey's mind, walking around the gunpowder thing, all that, the tallest building. And he confesses to Corey that he gave him the answers. And the way he does that confession is very manipulative, but not in a bad way. He confesses it to the actor he had playing Corey in the rehearsal part. But then you see Corey's, reaction secondary reaction it's hard to explain but it's it's, very, it's cross it's cross cut there. between two milieus yeah right that has to be good because it's deep it's thinking it's yeah creative it's yeah, not just right. first pass comedy which we complain about a lot this might be a personal apocalypse because i was mr media guy mr media studies and part of me can't make heads or tails about this right like i'm totally confused by it I'm completely nonplussed by it, and we're using that word correctly. Yes, confused doesn't mean <laughs> it doesn't mean blasé. It means confused. Uh, 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 Uncle Junior used it right in an episode of Sopranos. I remember of being course. very impressed. His his vocabulary um, was was unerring. Junior had it right. Yes, one of my father for cartoonists now. Um, so it could be a personal apocalypse that I'm just getting dumb and my media analysis skills that I pride myself on are in the toilet, and my reading comprehension has you know has been evaporated into the dust of reddit you know so uh that could be an apocalypse so you know but i'm not the whole world let's be honest there's something i need to come clean about um so i knew what the trivia answers were going to be tonight and i taught you them in advance without you knowing okay now let's bring this thing home let's talk about jealousy in our yes. last two segments yes how, how, yes. how does how, how exactly how is this making you jealous this week? oh my god i am so fucking jealous of this guy he's clearly a lot smarter than me you know i just said i i can't wrap my mind around this shit uh oh my god the work that went into the show that first episode they re made a re a, a insanely detailed recreation of that the alligator lounge in brooklyn which i've been to i've played trivia at i've eaten the free pizza at multiple times it's been years though an insanely detailed recreation of that i mean the team of production people i have a good team working for me but sometimes it feels but, like and, twisting and the apartment too there was two full yeah, size recreations I, I, just, I i i can't i don't i have neither the budget nor the managerial skills nor the staff to do anything that elaborate. If I wanted to build a bar, I'd be building it myself, right? Feels like. Um, so I, I'm jealous of that. He's bold. He gets in people's faces, right? He is, he's got, I said before, he's got balls, metaphorical balls. Women can have balls too, of course. Um, he gets in people's faces. He's not afraid, not really speak truth to power, but to, to, to bring out those uncomfortable or honest or bare moments push the limits and i get terrified of that stuff i back away immediately he faces that he's socially awkward but he faces it down 
And he got a show on Comedy Central. And then he got a show on HBO Max. And there's people talking about him online. Uh, you know, he was married and now he lives with his girlfriend. All these goals I had that I've been unable to achieve because I just want to hide under a blanket 50% of the time. So I'm very, very jealous of this dude. I think to a degree, insofar as, you know, Fielder has invented this very dry and stiff persona and grabbed amount of, uh, a fair amount of renown from people who I would consider excellent peers of mine who I look up to. Uh, I mean, that's great. And, and he has done, it's a classic case of self-actualization. I could maybe argue with you about whether or not he has trouble doing the things that appear to be laborious for him inside the show or if that's part of the performance. Yes, there is some debate out there whether he's playing a character yeah. I, I, yeah, I, we we don't know. I think it's somewhere in between. But again, but in, I don't know. in that way, in that way, he's doing this so authentically that it it straddles the line between just passing right by as you're watching regular guys, and then the the TV-ness of it, where there's definitely heightened reality in a performance. Who the fuck knows? Uh, look, I'm I'm just as stiff and boring as he is. Uh, I'm just as non-distinctive from the background as human wallpaper as this guy is. Honestly, like his look. You know, you could not pick him up from a crowd. He just looks like... He's a very plain-looking He just guy. looks like... And everything about him... Again, I, maybe he goes home and he puts on a fucking Versace suit, you know, and like uh, brocaded waistcoats and stuff like that. And yeah. I, I don't know. He's shirtless on the cover of New York Magazine. Yeah, with the water the water being poured over his head or whatever. I don't... Maybe I'm thinking of a different image, but... I don't remember. Yeah, I yeah, so, yeah. As I'm saying, there's, there's so much about him that is just completely... Um, it's almost like weaponized anonymity. And he's... Granted, he's not the first... Yeah. Bob Newhart was a guy... That it looked like every guy and Bob Newhart made an incredible career out of just being such a, a, a specific and precise and deadpan kind of comedian with a brilliant wit and you know Bob Newhart did not look like Andy Warhol and yet it you know he needed to look like Bob Newhart to make that career happen and that's you know there's always room for those kind of people in this business uh we should get right down to the felonious scale no let's talk about the xyz axis where does this guy line up for you because I could see some easy correlatives but I'm curious where you would right. position this well, I was reminded, I was trying to remember our most recent topic that was about manipulating reality. I'm not counting like the the, the, the uh, Dali thing. Uh, and I thought of birds aren't real, you know, because. Oh, uh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What, okay. do they, what do they mean? What do they not? I mean, that guy has come out and said the whole thing's a scam. But like, does everyone who experiences their bits, do they really realize that? Yeah, right. right. That's scam. good. That's scam good. is the like wrong that. word. They're not trying to rip anyone off. So I take birds aren't real. Then multiply it by John Mulaney, you know, white guy trying to make us laugh. But Mulaney, for all his value or lack of value, was very, you know, kind of typical stand-up-y. He's not, he's not reimagining the form, even though it's not stand-up, reimagining comedy forms in the way that um, Fielder is. So Birds Aren't Real Times John Mulaney. And then I subtracted Anti-Work. Uh, and I'm not sure why, but that just made sense to me at the time. So there you have it. Birds aren't real times John Mulaney minus anti-work, and you get the phenomenon that is. This week's I don't get it, the pop culture get off my lawn cast topic, Nathan Fielder. I like how you, you? your quadratic equations always have this end. I'm just feeling my way through it. It's you know, it, it comes up with an exact whole integer at the end, but I just right. felt my way through it. I, I end. didn't I was not a, I was not into math, folks. You know? I'm not getting a grade here. I'm I'm gonna half ass my homework. Sorry. Uh, this is my perfect classic uh, platonically solid uh, I don't get it quandary yeah, okay. because I'm, I'm, I'm literally trying to rank something that I don't understand fully on a series of mer merits that I think are largely outside of my Ken. Uh, Ken, in this case, being a really solid guy I'm, I'm friends with. So, um, you know what? I, I thought of 
Where do I put this? I was thinking of something along the lines of Emma Chamberlain in terms of it's okay. it's a, it's a sensation to a degree. Emma Chamberlain might be bigger. I usually she's definitely larger than this guy. But when well, we looked, it's still still. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. She was at the Met Gala, I mean, and Nathan Nathan Fielder was I don't not. Know. Oh, that's right. I don't know. I think Fielder is a billion times more talented you, than any of those by all means people. think that if you want doesn't mean that he's doesn't mean that she, she's he's bigger he, he's clearly not but my point is that emma chamberlain and again we gave a fair amount of like looking at her squinting trying to discern looking at her through a kaleidoscope she was a sensation that was quite simply presented in a, in a foreign language um and it was like trying to look at cuneiform or sanskrit and figure out what is the, what is the message and what is the entertainment i heard the word she was saying but there was something else going on. There was ultraviolet light coming off of her uh, infrared waves that I just could not pick up. That I realized a whole series of fans were hearing hypersound or ultrasound frequencies from her. That they just and it's like I think to a degree it's a completely different audience. But I think that people are seeing something that he has designed. Nathan Fielder, I'm saying, has designed as part of his message going out, but I'm not picking up on those waves. And so the closest thing I could think of is like an Emma Chamberlain. And, you know, we're going to continue to hit people like this. Usually I, I get what it is and either I like it or I don't. But this is like trying to spoof my way through something where it's just based on layers of messaging that don't kind of make any sense to me, you know. So you give up. You give up that easily, Bill. Uh, you know what? I will come back time and time again. Know what to talk about with you. I maybe I, I lost this battle, but I'm, we're going to win the war overall. I think. <laughs> God willing. All uh, right, that's it for this week. We are done all, with Nathan Fielder. It's all there could be. So if you'd like to find past episodes, yes. like Emma Chamberlain, for instance, uh, and sourdough starters and TikToks and whatnot. You guys can look uh, for past episodes on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us, Noah and Bill Don't Get It at gmail.com. Give us a review on the aggregators. Uh, did you read this story, by the way, Noah, that a woman was killed by an aggregator? She fell into a pond in Florida. Two aggregators got her. If you ever wonder about moving to Florida, there's a lot of good reasons why oh, you should not Jesus. move there. Jesus. I... I was expecting some interesting story about how modern technology has pitfalls we never considered, and you make a pun that wouldn't even be worthy my grandfather. That's terrible, dude. Keep your grandfather That's out of those awful. ponds in Florida, you know what I mean? Yes. So uh, I, a little late for that. I am on, tw- <laughs> I am on Twitter, at William Scurry. Uh, my uh, video content is on YouTube at youtube.com slash amcaesar. And now here's Noah. The Big Quiz Thing, bigquizthing.com, the finest in corporate and private trivia events, virtually, in-person, hybrid, you name it. Check out our new website, take a sample quiz, book us for the fall. The fall's filling up, folks. And, uh, Bill, we're going to, I guess we're going to, we will reconvene next week, but the week after. Yeah, we got some some weird staccato scheduling coming up. Yeah, well, well, it's summertime, it's vacation, I need a vacation. But I think we could do this next week, right? I think so. So we're we're not taking a break just yet. So stay tuned for more I Don't Get It, the Pop Culture Get Off My Lawn Cast Fun coming to you soon. All right, until the next starchy, inert, airless, stiff episode of this podcast, we We don't don't get get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2022.